0: CM, CM
1: The Wailing Nostalgia. Yay Podcast! Good morning, Native America! <laughs> Young and Indigenous here, my name is Isabella James and I'm here with Connor. Take it, Bay. All right, I'm Bay. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> My name is Michelle Pulaski, and I am from the Lemmy Nation. Yay Podcast stands for Young and Indigenous, and that's who we are. We are doing this for our community members. We are trying to build bridges by bringing people together to share their concerns, stories, love, ideas, and more. But it is also for those people who are outside of our community who would like to learn more about us as Indigenous people from our podcast episodes. Eliza Senesnat Chuklamisen Gary Julius Tinnaman Tashina Jackson Sinatan, Nochchissa McQualia Kwanisenat Tacho Neslit Kwanisqwaal Akakuinisqwaal Autsen Kachit Chuklamichasen Iutatisen Kwanisqwanauch Hello everybody, my name is Eliza Julius. I am from the Lummi Reservation. My father is Gary Julius and my mother is Tashina Jackson. I'd like to thank you all for being here and listening today. I do not know the Lummi language. I am still learning how to speak and pronounce it. Nautsiam K. Senesnat, Hello, everyone. My name is Kyla Pulaski. My Indian name is K. Klemwisawet, and I am from the Lummi Nation. Nautsiam Michelle Senesnat. Hello everyone, my name is Michelle Pulaski, and I am from the Lemmy Nation. In today's episode, you will hear the importance of storytelling, shared traditional stories, and songs from Smakia.
0: Now, see, um, on the snap. Virginia Senatan, Craig Senaman Floydy e. Isabel Senesosila, Nukchison Mkwalea quinnusenet Tatchel, Nislit quinnuskwalea quinnuskwalea quinnuskwalea, Autsen kachit tuklamichasen, iu tattusen quinnuskwnauksh. Hello, my friends and relatives. My name is Smakia. I'm from Lummi. My late father was Craig, my mom is Virginia, my late grandparents are Isabel and Floyd Warbus. and I would like to thank each and every one of you for coming here today. I would like to say just a few words. I don't know the Lummi language, and I'm still learning how to speak it. As far as introducing myself and Kulimichasun, that's first things first. It's automatic. I first heard this story from Al Charles, and it was from a recording. When he tells the story, he has such great expression, and you can hear it it's pretty awesome and This is how Al Charles tells that story. He begins telling it in the Kulimachoson called it was winter time, and the snow began to fall. The little deer he was out playing in the fields, and he noticed the stuff falling from the sky. And he thought to himself, I'm gonna count all of these. And he's looking up, and he says, Natsa. Chessa. And all of a sudden, there were too many snowflakes coming at him, and he got mixed up, and he got confused, he says, "ee," And then he dances around and he jumps and hops and running in circles. And he starts all over. He's like, I'm going to do it this time. And he's looking up and he's counting. Natsa. Chessa. Llich. Scotch. And all of a sudden it gets to be too many snowflakes coming all at once. And he says, "ee." and he gets all excited and he's hopping and running in circles. And he stops and he looks up again and he starts all over. Natsa. Chessa. Slug. Ngaas. Shkatsh. Tchung. Ee! He got all mixed up and he got all excited, started hopping and jumping all around, running in circles. And he says, this time I'm gonna get to ten. Natsa, Chessa, Sliu, Tas, Tuck, Open. And he finally made it to ten and he says, "Ee!" and he gets all excited and he runs in circles. And then he stops, and this is how the deer started learning how to count to (laughs) ten. I told this story, I think it was last year, for for Fringe High School's Native American Heritage Month for the assembly. I told the story and I left it at that, and You wouldn't believe how many questions I got after the fact because I didn't say, this is reason why. (laughs) Because there's always a reason why. And if you want to really stop and think about our oral traditions, that's what it was about, is I'm going to tell you a story and I'm going to tell you this much to begin with. You come back tomorrow, I'm going to tell you a story. Next time you tell that story, you go this far then you go a little bit further. There's always more to that story. That's something that our people understood. That repetition, the persistence, and a big thing that we really understood was patience. I wanted to talk a little bit about my journey, I guess. All of elementary school, all of middle school, I went to Linden. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. And what I do remember is that kids on the bus were really rowdy, and, you know, I was always laid back and calm and just wanted to keep to myself. Eventually, I kind of got tired of it, and I left home when I was probably 16 years old. And, you know, since my biological dad was not there, and basically... I was only like two when he passed away, and so he wasn't in my life, and I hear people telling stories about him. A lot of them are funny stories, and then a lot of them are great stories, the great things that he did. And, you know, he must have been 24, 25 years old when he passed away. And basically, it's one of those stories that I tell because it's an important one, And Back then, he made a choice, and the choice that he made was to drink and drive. In the process, you know, coming across that bridge, he ran into another car, and I think somebody in the other car had passed on as well. So it wasn't only him, but somebody else. Knowing this as I was growing up kind of guided me as far as like the choices that I've made basically made that decision that this isn't for me and I'm not going to do that. And as I continued to grow and go through high school, graduate and learning more and more about being a statistic and there really is no way to get away from being a statistic no matter what. We have the negative statistic and we have a positive statistic. We, as Native American people, the only thing that people will see is are the negatives. And they count how many people died from alcohol, how many people died from drugs. They count all of that. And so I began to realize that they were doing that, and I told myself that I'm not going to be this kind of a person. I, I guess I had many opportunities to not fall in that direction. Some of these opportunities, they were excellent, and I still carry these with me as I continue through my life. I, I think I had to been um, 18 or 19 years old, and that's when I learned how to carve. And so when I was carving, you know, we started with small totems, maybe about 10 to 11 inches tall. Eventually, Um, the master carver that I was working with, his name was Dale James, and he passed on. But I sat with him and I carved with him and it became a huge conversation. It wasn't going to carve, it was going to have a conversation. And he, he did show me things of how to carve the wood and things like that, but ultimately, It was a conversation, and we laughed, we told jokes, and we really enjoyed each other's company, and and that's what life should be. For a long time, especially like right after he had passed on, I didn't pick up a knife, and I didn't carve, and I didn't carry it the way that I should have. But it was like quite a few years later before I started picking it up again. I started to realize that some of his grandchildren were in my classes in high school. stepped forward and I said, I knew your grandfather and I knew the work that he did and asked them if they would be willing to learn how to carve because that is still within them regardless of whether they taught him or not. It's one of those things that passes with us genetically. When I was younger, I brought my flute to a gathering and one of the elders, he must have been 70 or so, and I got done playing and after I got done playing, he comes over and he sits next to me and he's like, "This." was a gift that was given to you freely it was not given because you wanted it we had a conversation about that whole aspect of it and I began to understand that I may have been drawn to this but this is something that the creator gave the reasoning behind picking up a piece of wood learning all these different things and how it comes into play even to this day whether you're carving something small, whether you're carving something big, whether you're carving an instrument, the belief is that you're putting yourself into that work. When you get frustrated, when you get angry because it's not doing what you want it to do, then you stop. Take a break if you get frustrated because you don't want that anger or the frustration to go into your work. Come back when you have a clear mind. Come back when you're ready. But don't leave it. Don't leave it alone. Make sure you come back. Years and years ago, the animals were playing in the woods, and the raven He was always a curious character. And everywhere he went, he would stop and he would listen. And he would listen to the different animals that were making their different sounds. And one day, he heard a strange sound. And a sound that he had not heard. He was so curious, he thought he would sneak up and see what was making this sound. And so he was kind of hopping along through the forest. He was trying to figure out where the sound was coming from. When he first heard it, it was really far away, and it was just very soft, very gentle. He continued and he'd walk a little ways and he'd stop and listen. When he stopped, he didn't hear it. So he stood still for like five minutes and all all of a sudden, he continued because the sound started getting a little bit louder as he continued. As he got closer, he didn't want to be seen right away. So because Raven, not exactly the quietest person as he's walking through the forest, he can hear the, the shuffling of his feet through the leaves and he heard. And he saw it was a bird. It was sitting in the water And he tried to get closer to see what kind of bird it was. As soon as he got really close, the bird put its head up. And he started looking over in that direction and raving. He made himself stiff as a board and he laid down so that the bird wouldn't see him. He stayed there quietly, so the bird... raven really enjoyed the sound and so he thought he would get a little bit closer and him making his sound with his feet shuffling the leaves on the ground and the bird looked up again really quick to see who was coming raven stiffened up laid flat and he just laid there the bird got up and left and the reason this bird got up and left because he could feel a cold coming, and the cold came as a big rush. froze. The raven, all those years ago, stayed there. He was frozen. And a few years ago I was walking in the forest and I stumbled across this piece of wood and I picked it up, tossing it around in my hands, and I was like, wow, look at that. And so I began to look at the piece of wood from different angles and I saw something. So I grab my knife and I start carving. And then even on the other side, start shaping, start carving. By the time I was done, I looked at it and I said, Raven, this is what you are. And this is how my flute came to be. And so I put a raven at the end. This one is blue. He's different from a black raven. And for the longest time, this is the only one that I carried with me everywhere that I went. I've been to Guatemala with this, and i played at the top of the temples. I've been to Nevada. I've been to California. I've played for different tribes there as well. You know, wherever I go, bring my fleets with me. So I can say that the flute has carried me to many, many different places, and it's brought me to many great people. You know, this is really one of the things that helped me maintain living life. Regardless of whether I'm playing for one person, whether I'm playing for 50 people, whether I'm playing for a huge audience, the songs that I play, in some way, they touch people. They touch their hearts. It's something that I found out over the years that I'm playing because this is what I feel. And what I feel, it comes out in a song. Technically, you know, that's the first half of the story. The second half of the story is the story that was told when I was in high school. I believe it was Clarissa Young, that originally told that story when I first heard it. And then later on, I've heard other people tell the same story. And that's the thing about the stories is that we need to really acknowledge where do these stories come from? Who told them? Where did you learn these stories from? I know that some people will do that and then there's other people, maybe they don't quite know that part of it, but it's a very important part each and every story comes from somewhere. So the story in Chasan is called Shkwayam. And so Shkwayam is a story. And I was going to say just recently, like within the past year, I was listening to um, one of the recordings in our office. And the guy... His name was Al Charles. He said, I'm going to sh- share with you some history. But he says it in the Lumi language. And then he translates it after he gets done telling the story. And I was like listening. and was like, what? There's a word for history? And so it was like, kind of piqued my curiosity. I had to go back and listen to the, what he said at the very beginning when he spoke in Lumi language. And he says... This is a story from a long time ago. And this is how he explained history. So was like, wow, that's kind of cool. That's exciting. We have a word that says this is our history. Each and every story has a meaning, has an interpretation. And sometimes it's very clear and sometimes you have to give it a lot of thought. The second part of the story for my flute, I call him the Blue Raven, It's painted blue. Like I said, this is the story that was told originally from Clarissa Young. Time ago, back when animals they spoke, they walked, they talked, they had conversations. And the raven he could do both he could walk, he could fly. He was an amazing creature. And Raven comes flying down one day and he's talking to Bear. And the bear says, Raven, I want to invite you over for dinner. We're going to have a feast. Raven agrees, and he's like, okay, that sounds good. I think I can do that. And the evening of the feast, Bear sets out his table, and he's got his table all set. He's got the sakwa, butter clams. He's got the squid light, the steamer clams. He's got the scala, the smoked fish. He's got all the different kinds of seafoods that you could ever think of. And these are all the things that the bear gathered throughout the year. And he wanted to make sure that none of his food went to waste. So he called all of his friends and invited them over for the feast. With his table set, he was looking around. He's looking at the table and he's like, hmm, there's something missing. And so he goes over, and he's looking at the table. He's like, ah, I know what it is. And this whole time, Raven is just kind of watching him. Bear's pacing back and forth, going to get this, going to get that, adding it to the table. And he sees that bear had forgot something. And so he's over there just kind of hopping along, and he's following him as he's going to the different places and bear, he goes over and he grabs the two swam shells, the horse clam shells and if you ever look at a swam shell, it's like a perfect bowl and so he grabs his two swam shells and the bear, he goes and sits over by the fire and he takes his paws, all four of them, and he sticks them out like this next thing you know, you can see the fat dripping from his paws and it started to collect in the swam shells and so basically the fat that came from his paws is what they used to use for dipping their scala their smoked salmon to give it some more flavor he had his two swam shells full of the grease that came from his paws and he brings them over to the table and he sets them down and they say their prayer and they begin their feast and they continue eating and eating and next thing you know everything's all gone and it's all done and everybody is so full they were so thankful that they really appreciated that bear did this for them the raven this whole time sitting there watching getting his idea he's like hmm i have lots of food too and i want to make sure that it doesn't go to waste." So I think I'm going to do what Bear did. I'm going to have a feast, and I'm going to invite all my friends. And we're going to have just the greatest time ever. He invites all his friends. They all start coming in. This time Raven's got his table set. Everything's on the table. And he is looking around, trying to get everything all ready. And he realizes that he forgot that one thing. He says, huh, I know what to do. I know exactly what to do. And so he went looking for his swam shells. He says, I saw what Bear did. I can do the exact same thing. He grabs his swam shells, walks over to the fire and sets them down. If you ever see a raven and you see his little claws, are sticking out like this. And so he was doing that. He stuck his little claws out there. And next thing you know, he starts catching himself on fire and he's jumping around and he's hopping. He caught himself on fire and he's rolling around and somebody came over and put him out. But When they put him out, he stood up and he looked around and he was all black. And so this is how the raven became black. And if you ever stop and really look at a raven feather, you see the blue shine in in that feather. And that's kind of my story, kind of a traditional story. I've adapted it to my flute. So I I left home when I was 16, and all of these places that I went to, I never felt comfortable. I never felt at home. Yeah, maybe I had a couple of friends, but sitting in a classroom of, you know, 20 kids, being the only brown person in the classroom and the teacher looks at you like you're dumb and basically treats you like that. That wasn't comfortable for me. So that's why I went to all these different schools. And they always put me into the special classes. For the longest time, I I was frustrated with it. Back when they were starting the Lemmy High School, it was called Lemmy Middle College High School because we were part of the college. We had one room. We didn't change classrooms, our teachers did. Our teachers came in, and we would get a five-minute break, and a new teacher would come in, teach that subject. We'd get a five-minute break, and a new teacher would come in. This was the beginnings of realizing that I am smart. Sometimes we don't hear that enough, that you are smart and it's something that I carry with me and I tell my students because I want them to understand that I think that they're smart and I think that they're awesome and I think that somebody needs to tell them. If nobody ever says anything, we're gonna continue feeling less than and that's not what we're about. We wanna make sure that we take steps forward, we move forward, We progress ourselves and understand that we do come from intelligent people. They're the ones that came up with the reef net. They're the ones that came up with carving the canoes. They're the ones that came up with weaving the baskets. We knew when to gather. We knew when to harvest. We knew what we needed for each project that we were faced with. And this is basic survival. Thinking about our ancestors and how we come from intelligent people, our evidence is a basket. Sometimes it's a story pole. And the one thing that I've learned over the years is that some people will call it a totem pole. And really that's kind of like an inappropriate term. Our people, we had stories that went with our poles. So we called them the story poles. Klamichasin is the Squam Isch. So, the Squam, like I said, is the story. Isch is talking about a plant. So, the story plant, or in the case of a carving, the story pole. The things that we don't realize is that, you know, we come from very intelligent people, and it's still within us. I think that deep down, there's something that's calling for each and every person. Sometimes it's the ancestral language, sometimes it's the weaving capability, sometimes it's a carving, and each and every person has a specific gift. And this is following along the same lines as that story of the raven and the bear. It's like, just because I see somebody over there doing such beautiful work and I wanna be just like her or him, doesn't mean that I get to go over there and be doing that kind of work. It's a learning process and understanding that training that goes behind that time, that patience, that understanding and knowing when to harvest. And I think that there are lots of times when I specifically say, I want to go do that. I want to be just like that. (laughs) And I think, you know, at some point we all go through that. There's a long process of learning trials and errors, and figuring out what works, what doesn't work, and knowing that somebody's going to be here regardless of whether I'm here or not. Somebody's going to carry on the language. And it takes time, it takes practice, but that's a part of life, and I think that, you know, whatever it is that we do in our lives, the important thing is that we move forward and we understand we come from intelligent people, and we go out and we be successful.
1: Young and Indigenous is a part of Children of the Setting Sun Productions. Young and Indigenous podcast is produced by Michelle Pulaski, Eliza Julius, Isabella James, Kyla Pulaski, Ellie Smith, and Daryl Hilaire, Intro song by Adam Lawrence, Keith Jefferson, and Mark Nichols. Original music by Smakia, Matthew Warbis, Mark Nichols, and The A Team. Thank you for additional help and support from Natasha Fry, John Carroll, Julie Lewis, and North Sound ACH. Branding done by Beau Guerreau. Thank you to our sponsors The Lactamish Foundation, The Potlatch Foundation, First Nations Development Institute, and the Satterberg Foundation. We would also like to give a special heishka to Smakia for his shared time, songs, and stories. Today's word of the day is Sishleng quenquem," and that means to stand strong. To keep updated with upcoming podcasts and events, follow us on Facebook at Young and Indigenous. Thank you for listening. Natural.
0: Thank you.